uh, we, uh, ju- we're, brand- we're starting a brand new series called Resource. Would you say that word with me? Resource. One more time. One, two, three. Resource. And the purpose of this series is to train every Hill City member to identify and use God's entrusted resources for kingdom business. I believe that we're in these final days kind of thing. No man knows the hour. Jesus himself says he doesn't know. But we do know about the birth pains when it has started. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Pestilence. So it's critical that we as believers become who we're supposed to be. The day of consumer Christianity has to come to an end. Where we just come to church to get blessed. Where we actually come to be empowered, resourced, and go out and change our world. Are you with me today? Say yes. And so whether you like me by the end of this or not, I have a job to do. And that is to resource you and to awaken you to the resources that are available to you for kingdom businesses. And I would open up with this thought. God has a dream. He has a dream. And you see it woven throughout the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament as well. But I would summarize God's dream out of Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 when Jesus has just engaged with Zacchaeus, one of the wicked Jewish young men, older men, whatever age he was at, and he comes to salvation with Jesus in his living room. Could have been his kitchen. I'm taking liberties there. But in verse 10, Jesus says it like this. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus did not die on the cross so we could have better services. He did not spill his blood so that we could have these little safe gatherings that we don't let broken people into. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only, gave his only begotten son. Why? Because he so loved the world. He loves the pervert. He loves the person struggling with their sexuality. He loves them. And he hates the works of the enemy that has destroyed them and brought them to that place of brokenness. And so Jesus responded to the Father and said, I will go and I will make a way that all humanity can come back to you. And through his death on the cross, he made a way. Picture a great chasm and that cross lays over that chasm and now humanity can cross that chasm and get to the Father. That was the work of the cross, that all men could come to the Father. That free will thing gets in the way because all men have to choose whether they will serve Jesus or not and whether they will humble themselves. But Jesus, nonetheless, came to seek and save that which was lost. Years ago, and I don't remember all the details, I just remember the headlines, there was a Boy Scout troop. I think it was somewhere they went and did their wilderness thing out somewhere. I think it might have been in California. I know there was something similar here in the Texas area. And in this five-day wilderness thing that they were going to do, this troop, one of the young men, one of the young fellows got lost, and they couldn't find him. 
And they spent the next week looking for this boy. And it was amazing as the camera crews, helicopters and all, and all of these young boys would not quit and would not go home because they wanted to find their teammate, if you will. They were seeking to find that which was lost, to rescue that little boy. And it was amazing because they all had their little badges. They had, all the, they had all their little backpacks with all their little fire starters and their little compasses and all their little tools so that they could seek and save that which is lost. In this series, I'm going to bring out the tools, the resources that God has entrusted, has put in your backsack, if you will, or your backpack, so that you can go on an adventure with him to seek and save that which is lost. You and I have the privilege of being a part of God's heavenly formula. And God's heavenly formula looks like this. Jesus, who came, died, resurrected. Then he birthed what we call and know as the church. That which he left, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't build orphanages. He didn't build buildings. He built people, enlisted people to be a part of his plan. So therefore the church. So Jesus plus the church and then God's resources will equal God's dream fulfilled, that none should perish but all come to eternal life. This is the track that we're on. This is the place that we're after. This is the goal with this series. And I believe that you and I will be built up over the next few weeks in such a way that we're going to start seeing miracles like we dreamed about when we were kids. That we said God could do this as you and I learn to work with the resources. But to do that, let me take you to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at a large passage of Scripture today. Is that okay? Is it all right to read the Bible in church? Seems not cool anymore, but that's what we do. So Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. We're going to read all the way to verse 30. If you'll follow along with me, if you forgot your Bible, you can quickly download the Bible app. If you don't have a phone that downloads a Bible app, then you can look on the screens. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14, this is titled, or put, um, uh, identified as the parable of the talents. This is Jesus speaking. He gives a parable, a story with these meanings um, that have these consequences and these powerful truths in them. And verse 14, he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. And he trusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent. Each according to his ability. Mark that. Then he went on his journey. In verse 16, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the, those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful, mark this, in a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Verse 22, the man who had two talents also came. He said, master, you entrusted me with two talents, yet see, I have gained two more. And his master replied, you lazy, worthless, no good sucker, sucker you. Why didn't you get 10, 10 like the guy before you? Well, I just want to attack that American thing that we always have to outdo the next guy. All right, so let me back up since I misquoted the Holy Scriptures to try to unhinge some things locked in your way of thinking. The man, the man who had received the two, the master replied, verse 23, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. But see, here's what belongs to you. Verse 26. His master replied, that's okay, buddy. It's okay. Yeah, right? Right? It's okay, fish. That's not what he says. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I heart servant of the master. Put that in perspective. You knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Well, not in our era, but in that era. Verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. That seems unfair. For everyone who has been given more, excuse me, everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was a very strong parable. In fact, we kind of built our church on this parable that we are servants of the Most High God and we've all been entrusted with something in which the Father expects something to happen. So with that, let me give you a couple truths out of this passage. Write these down. Here's the first truth. And that is, starting with, they are his resources. Those are his resources. Unfortunately, when we read this passage, we take that word talent and we translate it into our modern English and we use the word talent to mean your ability to play guitar, America's got talent, your ability to sing, your ability to make money. And that's not quite actually what this is talking about. Talents were a, it was money. It would have been easy to say you gave him $5 or $2. It would actually have been more... Uh, closer to $5,000, $2,000, and $1,000 in today's market, um, or at least close to that. And so what he did was he entrusted his resources to his servants. And it's critical that you get this, and this is the problem with most American Christians. We don't realize that his resources are his resources. They're not our resources. Your intelligence is not yours. God gave you that. It's on loan from heaven. Those children are not your children. That wife is not your wife. She's on loan from heaven. And we are therefore called to steward his resources. We're called to take care of and do something with his resources. I was listening to Dr. Tony Evans testify that years ago when he was in, when he was in Bible school or seminary, he was, I think he went to DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, and, uh, and he testified how he was already married, and I think he already had uh, two kids at the time, and they didn't have any money. And he's trying to get through seminary, no money. And, uh, and so, you know, working these little side jobs and his wife working to try to help him get through school. And, you know, because he had this calling and this vision on his life. And he said, and what happened was these, uh, these people connected to Dallas Theological Seminary, there was a number of socialites, folks with money. And they would go out of town sometime weeks at a time, months at a time, because they'd go stay in Switzerland for however long. And what they were always looking for was someone trustworthy to come stay in their home and watch after their affairs. 
And Dr. Tony said how he had the privilege multiple times, he and his wife, to stay in these mansions of homes, eat their food, take care of driving their cars, making sure that no one broke in and watched after their resources. And he said that his wife would come to him a couple weeks into staying in these opulent places and say, remember, this ain't ours. This ain't ours. This belongs to somebody else. We are stewarding someone else's stuff. And he said he would always have to remind himself, because you start getting comfortable. This is my hot tub. But then they're going to come back to their home, and you're going to go back to your apartment in the hood. And Dr. Tony said how that marked him for the rest of his life. That everything that God has entrusted to me is not mine, it's his. I'm simply managing it. And there will be a day that he comes back with expectation on what did I do with his stuff, with his resources. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. So the first truth that you and I have to grasp, and that is they are his resources and not mine and yours. Here's the second truth we have to grasp, and that is he expects an ROI. He expects ROI, a return on his investment. He expects a return on his investment. If he's invested in you, he has an expectation that there would be a return on the investment. Um, listen, if you got favor at your job, that's because someone there has to get saved. He's expecting, I'm giving you favor and promoting you so that you can have influence and touch someone in this place. So if you take the favor and use it for your own selfish ambition then you are misappropriating his resources. He, he, he said he gave one, five, one, two, and one, one, each according to their ability. He had an expectation when he returned. He said, now, the Bible says he came to settle up accounts. The book of Luke has a real similar parable that Jesus tells. Luke either sees the same parable from a little different angle or either Jesus tells his parable more than likely multiple times and in it adjusts a little bit and adds some. So you know how when you tell a story, you adjust it a little bit and make it a little different or, or something has expanded in your understanding. And Jesus tells it with 10 minus. And he says that when, when the master returns to settle accounts, he looks at each one of them and the one who had gotten 10 from his one minor, from his one, you know, his one uh, bit of money that the, the father had entrusted to him. He looks at him, he goes, because you've been faithful in this, I'm going to give you 10 cities. There is this understanding that Jesus expects a return on his investment. Some of you grew up in opulent situations. He expects a return on, your, on that investment. Some of you have grew, grown up in a difficult situation that made you someone great. He expects a return on that investment. Some of you have intelligence that is beyond anything I would ever think of possessing. He expects a return on your intelligence. Some of you are influencers. You walk in the room and everybody likes you. He expects to return on his investment. Some of you, the moment that you start singing, we all go, woo, glory. He expects a return on that investment. Some of you, when you start talking to us, the wise counsel that comes out of you makes no sense. It's like, where is that coming from? He expects a return on on his investment. Some of you, you can't, you walk in the room and make money. You just make money. You, uh, you don't even know how you make it. You just make it. He expects a return on his investment. You need to get this because if you don't, then you think it is by your hand and by your strength. Because can I just help you with something? You could have a stroke tomorrow and all of your abilities be gone. It is he who guides us. It is he who protects us. It is he who holds us in the palm of his hand. Why? Because God has a great dream. What's his great dream? To seek and to save that which is lost. 
That's his great plan. We're on this planet for such a time as this. You come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that, and you're a part of our troop. Christianity, you're a part of the troop of Jesus Christ. And we've got brothers and sisters out there that are lost and dying. And we are called by God to seek and save that which is lost. We are a part of his plan. And his final communication, they call it, we call it the Great Commission, and the final communication that he gave, gave us in Matthew chapter 28, he says, go and make disciples of all men, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you forever and ever. Always I'll be. I'll never leave you in that process. Here's the third big truth that you and I need to understand, and that is he rewards trustworthiness. Amen. There are moments... Well, I look into the thing that he's asked me to do, and I say, forget it. I ain't pastoring these crazy people. I come home, and my wife will start talking to me. I say, baby, baby, hold up. Look at me. Don't you see how sheep bit I am? I ain't got time to be thinking about nothing. I just need to go sit down. All day long, I'm somebody, some sheep is biting me or knocking me down or hitting up against me. I'm like, look, I'm supposed to be a shepherd helping you. Let's get on this thing. I can't. Oh, it ain't worth And then all the time, the Lord reminds me, oh, no, no, no. You're storing up for yourself riches in heaven. Just so you know, when you serve Hill City, you ain't serving Pastor Adam. You out of your mind. I don't ser- I, listen. I love you and I appreciate you and I and I. But I'm not. I'm not doing this for your favor or for your for your validation of me. I am being obedient to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and therefore I am storing up riches in heaven, where moth and rust cannot take away. Corinthians says some of you will get there and because you've been disobedient, but yet you'll you'll survive it. I'm paraphrasing. He says because every man's work will be tested with fire. Every man's work will be tested with fire. And he said, some of you will have nothing left after it's tested, but yet you'll be saved. You'll, you'll make it into heaven. But the Bible is very clear that there is a reward system for obedience. Very clear. We don't work for salvation. We are saved by faith Amen. through grace in Jesus Christ, his grace, our faith in him, and the grace that he bestowed upon us. But as believers, as believers, he has set up a reward system for those who are obedient. You need to understand that. He has reward. Listen, and he literally says, each according to their ability. And I want to help you with this. Every one of us have an ability. And I want to ask you something. How do you get ability? Where did ability? Why did he entrust one with five, one with two, and one with one? According to their ability. What signified their ability? Can I explain to you how you get ability? By becoming able. You say, what? Well, it starts with being available, and while you're in the midst of being available, <clears throat> you're tasked with things that you don't know how to do. But while you're doing them, you become able. And the more you're faithful to becoming able in the process, you are learning and then becoming more trustworthy. No, you're not getting it. Let me explain to you. Let me explain to you. When I was 16 years old, we got a new youth pastor, and he said, we're going to all do home groups. I was like, what is that? Every one of you guys, he grabbed a group of us, he said, you're leaders. We were like, okay. And I was leading all right. I was leading everybody in the wrong direction. <laughs> and he said, Adam, I see the call of God on your life, and I want you to lead a home group for us, what we would now probably call small groups, but a different, you know, uh, way of doing it. And he said, and, and so I want you to lead. 16 years old. He, he began to explain to me how people are dying going to hell, and it's my job as a 16-year-old to help them know Jesus. And the best way to do that is meet with young, young people and l- help them uh, get closer to God in a small group setting. 
I said, I, I bought in. I said, I'm able. Let's do it. I'm available, but I don't know what I'm doing. He said, okay, there's no worry. You'll learn as you go. And that's exactly what we did. And by the time I came to the end of my 16th birthday, I had, we had, um, uh, by the time I was about to turn 17, we had 50 kids in my home group. 50 kids at 16 years of age. Do you know why God can trust me with thousands now? Because I learned at 16 how to deal with a bunch of knotheads. I'll never forget being 17 years old, and we're in this home, living room, just worshiping God, about 50 kids. I'm thinking it's revival, and all of a sudden, this little girl right here starts manifesting demons. <laughs> People ask me all the time, how did you learn how to move in deliverance? Well, I was 16. She's manifesting. I don't know what to do. But I heard Bob Larson yell at him. <laughs> Dating myself, thank you. So I just ran over there and tackled her. So we did in football if you act acting a fool. We just tackled you. So I got her on the ground. A bunch of other people came around. We said, in the name of Jesus. And the demon starts, nah, I'm not coming out. And I'm like, oh, yes, you will. Like, no, or not. And I'm like, I don't think it wants to come out, everybody. And finally, someone said, well, let's quote the scripture over. So well, we started quoting scripture over. And finally, after a little bit, all of a sudden, the demon went, stop. And we said, go. And it went, oh, and gone. And then the little girl was like, what happened? And we're like, we don't know. No idea. Hadn't been in Bible school. Come on, somebody. Hadn't been trained in it. Where did I get that ability? Because I had been able as being available. And so then God said, well, we can trust him with two talents now. As I was faithful with two talents, he said, I can trust him with three talents. Come on, somebody. And then he said, I can trust him with five talents. Are you tracking with me? He didn't love the guy with the five talents more than the guy with the two talents or the one talent. The one with the five talents had been being available and learning his craft day in and day out. So by the time they looked up and said, I need to give somebody a whole five talents, who out of everybody can be trusted with that? Somebody, one of the angels said, I tell you, Demetrius can. And Jesus said, let's give it to Demetrius. Because Demetrius already done that five times over before we ever got to this spot. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. No, you're not listening. You got to understand. People sit around complaining, God, when are you going to use me? God, why don't you use me? He said, well, I'd love for you to show up every uh, Sunday pretty faithfully and help uh, serve over there. You start, you start there. You start with that. And the more and more he can entrust you with, man, you guys are not listening, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. In our city that I grew up in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, there was an African-American pastor who went to Bible school, a little small Bible school. He graduated, but nobody would let him come preach. And he felt like he had a call of God to pastor. God had given him dreams to pastor large churches. But he had no opportunity. And this man had no resources, but he could draw. And so he would go over to our mall. He would walk an hour and a half every morning to our big mall stand out front, talk to people, and draw them pictures of themselves, hand it to them, and then pray with them. Every day. Didn't even have the money to buy the paper and the pencils. But he was going to be faithful to what he got. He'd walk to that mall when the rest of us were driving our nice cars to our big sanctuaries to do our radio broadcast and our TV broadcast to get more people coming in our service. That man was faithful day in and day out with whatever he had. And then all of a sudden, he started a little Bible study with all these people that are getting saved out in front of the mall. That Bible study grew to a big home church. Next thing you know, the big white church that had, uh, did the white flight and had that big old building sitting empty in the spot that nobody wanted to go to, they gave him that building that had about a 2,000-seat sanctuary. 
By the time they gave him that building, he already had a couple hundred people that were meeting in his home, in little homes, little places all over the hood where he had been ministering at. Now all of a sudden, next thing you know, he gets in that building, more people come, and he's being faithful with the 200, they turned into 1,000. As he's being faithful with the 1,000, he got on radio, and he started getting a little bit of television broadcast going. And let me tell you something, when I left that city 20-something years ago, he had one of the largest churches in the city and was touching the nation. Why? Because he was willing to take the initial one talent and go to that mall and work that one talent. You keep waiting for God to give you five talents. He said, I can't trust you with half a talent. You're not favored with half a talent. Why would I give you anything more? And I, I'm telling you, especially if you're a little older in the faith and you've been doing, oh, well, back in the day. And I, well, good, back in the day, it's gone. And you're still trying to work something that, that, that no longer has credit anymore. It's spent. God wants to continue using you and me. But can he trust us? Uh, each according to their ability. So somehow we excuse this, well, I just don't have as much ability. You have just as much ability as anybody else. You just aren't using the ability you have. And when you're faithful with the ability you have, then he can look and give you more and give you more and give you more. Would you give a toddler a driver's license? I uh, sure hope not. They keep running everything into the wall, you know, their little push carts in the, in the house. Surely not going to give them a, a F-250. Are you with me? Say yes. And this is, you got to understand these truths of this Holy Scripture. That brings me to the fourth truth in this whole thing, and that is he doesn't accept, accept fear as an excuse. <laughs> Lord, I was scared. I was so scared. You gave me this warning. I knew you were a tough man. Reaping where you had not sown. And so I was so scared during the COVID that I went and I went and I hid my gifting that you had entrusted with me. Oh, God. But now that you're returned, here it is. Excuse me. Here it is. And he doesn't accept it. I did a whole series on core fears so that I could wake you up. That fear will not be used on that day as acceptable excuse for not being obedient to what he made you to be. In fact, the joy of this journey with Jesus is, I'm scared, God, come on, I got you. I'm scared, God, I don't know. And taking that leap of faith and then seeing the miraculous hand of God at work and what you knew you could not have done in your own strength. You could have never accomplished in your own ability. That you know that it is just God. And that's what drives us to our knees because in our, in our understanding, whoa, I can't do this, but God gives us strength to do it. And that brings us to that place of true humility. Like, God, I know, I know that I should not be standing here. Come on, somebody. I know I don't deserve it. I've blown it time and time and time again, and you still use me. Can I explain something to you? I've, we've got a single mama who is a network pastor on our team. We've got an ex-convict who is a network pastor on our team. You know why? Because whoever is faithful with little, he'll make them ruler over much. Whoever is faithful with little. We, he says, I don't judge the way you judge. And I don't see the way you see. He's very clear. He's very, very clear. But you and I will not be able to use fear as an excuse. Eight years ago, nine years ago now, I quit all my jobs. I quit traveling. Gave up 75% of my income. Sold our big house in Lake Ridge. Moved into rental property, pulled my kids out of private Christian school, put them in public school, 
took the old used cars that we had and instead of going and buying new ones, kept driving those to go for it with Hill City. We were 150 people. We didn't have a building. We were meeting in the Methodist church on Sunday nights because nowhere else would let us meet. We were looking for a building because we realized Americans won't come to church and won't get saved unless you have a building. Otherwise, they kept thinking we were a cult. Like, you don't have a building? Where do you meet? We're like, like, we believe we are the church. So where do you meet? Well, we meet on Sunday nights at the Methodist church. Are you Methodist? No, we rent their place to have our gatherings, but we meet in homes. You meet in homes. We're like, yeah? They're like, mm, sound like a cult to me, babe. Let's go. And so we knew to even be able to reach the broken people of our generation, we'd have to get a building. And so we kept looking. We kept 32 different locations. I tried to buy, rent, steal, murder, whatever I could do to get these built. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nobody, nothing. <clears throat> when all of a sudden, this facility came available, the pastor and his congregation that had built this facility out had gotten themselves in some transition time. They were going to merge with another church. And I had approached them a year and a half earlier, and uh, they said, no, we're not going to sell this to you. We're, we're fine. And so they called me. And at this moment, we had saved up all of our little pennies. We had $200,000 in the bank. That's what we had. And they called us and said, would you like our facility? And I said, let me pray about it. Yes. <laughs> Can I help you? When you've been praying and fasting for something two or three years, and, and you get the phone call, why do you need to pray about it? I've been praying about it. I, that makes no sense to me. That's super spiritualism or something. I don't know. I'm like, the, when the answer comes, like, hold on, let me pray about it. I mean, it's right he sent it to you. What are you doing? <laughs> Receive and go. And so we get the phone call, and I came and I met with them. And uh, they said, you know, the facility was valued at the time at like right at $4 million, property and everything. And, uh, and so we had already been looking for loans and things like that to try to buy anything. And our little $200,000 was 20% of a million. So the only thing we were going to be able to purchase was going to be somewhere in the million-dollar range, which meant it was going to be uh, some type of facility that held about 75 to 100 people. And so when I walked in here, and this thing holds 600, and, and it had chairs yeah. and some lights. Wow, and a sound system and a cafe. And I was like, are you serious, Jesus? Could this really be ours? <sighs> and so we sat down with their team, and, and they were like, how long will it take you to get a loan for this amount of money? And I was like, well, here's the deal. Uh, no one is going to lend us $4 million because we don't have the history. And every bank I went to kept saying, we don't have the history. I'm like, well, how am I going to get the history if you don't loan me no money? And so I was so mad at all of them. And the Lord kept saying, that's because they're not your provider. I'm your provider. Stop it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so it came down to this. I told them, I said, here's what, I said, here's what we'll do. We'll lease everything. They had gotten themselves in trouble with the IRS too, and they had these bills. And their bills came to like $25,000 a month. And um, our tithe was like $5,000 a month or $10,000. It wasn't much. And, um, and so, but we had this little nest egg, our 200000 in the bank. And then here's what I did. I said, we'll do a lease agreement with you, and we'll believe God to do us a miracle in that time frame. Y'all leave. We'll change the name on the building. And then I sat down with the elders and the leadership, and I said, hey, listen, here's what we got. That building that is magnificent and way beyond anything we should be able to go for right now is available. The note on and the bills on it are $25,000 a month. 
we got $200,000 in the bank. Here's my proposal. Let's go for it. Let's occupy that space. Let's, let's open up in that space. And we have enough money to pay the bills with a little bit that we'll have come in every month, plus the money we have in the bank, we might can get 10 months out of it. Yes. And at the end of 10 months, if God doesn't do a miracle, then here's my proposal. We shut the whole church down. We do like everybody else. We go to Gateway, and I'll go back traveling and <laughs> preaching around the world. And, uh, and our leadership was like, let's do it. I was like, no, 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 no. Are you, you understand? Like, we're going to do this for 10 months, and if God doesn't kiss it, bless it, it's over. Like, I'm done. I'm going back traveling around the world doing crusades and planting churches, and you guys are going to have to go to Gateway, and I'll see you one Sunday a year when I'm there. And they're like, let's do it. Either God's for us or he's not, so let's do it. Fear has no ability to hold back the plan of God if you'll stop using it as an excuse not to use your talents and your giftings that he's entrusted in you to bring about kingdom business. Because our heart was pure. We just wanted to seek and save that which was lost. And we couldn't figure out why God needed another church in the Metroplex. I couldn't figure it out. I was like, why do you need another one? Let's all, let's, some really good ones, let's just all get it behind. But he said, I want a multiracial, multigenerational church that's small group life driven, that ha- actually cares about each other and doesn't care about the pit stage or the broadcast and cares more about transformation. Well, like, okay, then we'll do it. I'll do that. We signed a lease with this group. They moved out. We put our name on the front of the building. It cost us $10,000 to put a name, on, put our sign up. We're like, there goes all our money. So no coffee or crackers in the kids' ministry for a long time. And uh, we did a grand opening, and, um, and 700 people came to it, which they were all my friends from around the nation. I was like, you're coming to my grand opening? So it looks like people came. <laughs> and they're like, okay, all right, we love you. And, uh, and then the truth was going to be the next week once all the friends and, you know, other people from other churches came to support us. And the next week we had 300 people. And the next week after that, we had 300 people. And then we had 325 people. And by the end of that year, we went to the bank and we bought this building. Well, we signed a note with the bank. <laughs> Make that clear. I wasn't going to let that $200,000 be an excuse to not take a leap for faith for God. We could have held on as a little small church with $200,000 in the bank and just, we got $200,000, we got $200,000, and we could have just died out slowly over time or we could have taken a leap of faith he said i entrusted you with one talent you could have at least put it on loan at the bank where i could have gotten some interest he says you're not you're not scared fear's not your problem you're wicked and you're lazy so let me get to the real root of your problem your real your real root is not fear you're wicked and you're lazy and by wicked he means you don't care about what i care about because it's a servant Again, servants represent Christians, believers, followers of God. The master represents our master. The end goal, the end goal to seek and save that which is lost. He doesn't care about money. God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He paves the streets with gold. He makes diamonds like that. I mean, he doesn't need our normal resource. His, what he sent, the most valuable commodity in heaven is one drop of the blood of Jesus. And he sent his son to spill all of that blood because God so loved the world. He would that none should perish, but all have eternal life. 
the, everything that we're doing on this planet. Do you understand? The average American age life that you're going to live somewhere around 80 years of age, and then it's gone. This is a dress rehearsal for eternity. You understand that, right? Like, if you had any concept of investing, when cryptocurrency was starting to make a little move a few years ago, I bought in. And I want you to know that even with it being down right now, I'm making money. And the reason why is because I got in on it long ago before any of you knew what it was happening there. Come on, you tracking with me? If you don't get in on God's economic plan, then you're going to be with nothing when you get to heaven. And you're going to be like, I have nothing to bring. He's going to say, yeah, you didn't, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. You made it, but uh, we've got a little apartment over here on the backside, I guess, for you. I don't know what the rewards will be, but he's very clear that he will reward those who are obedient. And he's very clear with this parable that he expects a return on his investment, which brings me to, why would the guy, why would the guy who knew that the master had an expectation, why would he not use what was entrusted to him. Other servants didn't get anything entrusted to them. Why would he not use what was entrusted to him? And I want to give you a couple possible possible hindrances to God's resources. Why he didn't do it and what that that created as a hindrance. Here's the first thing I would teach you. It, It might be, and I want to connect it to you and me, it might be because we don't carry his dream. We don't carry his dream. Guys, not that I'm holier than the rest of you, but I wake up every day and say, Lord, how do we keep you from dying and going to hell? Because I have an uncle in hell. Because I have family members that have gone on, and they're not in heaven. Because I have people I love that I begged and cried out that they would serve the Lord and taught them and showed them, and they didn't want him. And I know where they're at. And I know what their eternal existence is going to be. But I also know the dream of God that he would, that none should perish. So I wake up every day, and every little waitress and every little person at every little checkout counter, I'm looking at them saying, oh God, oh God, oh God. How do I use what's been entrusted to me to keep them from going to hell? How do I seek and save that which is lost today? Friend, that is not my job as a pastor. That's our job as Christians and followers of God. I may be a troop leader, but we've got those out there that are lost from our troop, and we got, we're all on this search and rescue team. We're all out there using our resources and the gifts that God's given us. But somehow, some of us may have lost his dream. We don't have his dream in our heart. And my prayer in this whole series is that you would become overtaken by the dream of God. Then all of a sudden, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. No matter what kind of car you drive. You use all of those things to seek and save that. Which they're just tools. They're just resources. You start have a revelation of something so much bigger than your little existence on this planet. Just trying, just trying to make it through the day. Just trying to survive. Just gotta, you know, ooh, gotta overcome. There's so much more happening in this life, and that you and I should not follow after the things of this world like little robots. You and I have a call of the Almighty to seek and say that which we're on an adventure with the King of Glory and he's got us in the palm of his hands and he wants to entrust us with millions and millions of dollars and all kinds of talents and resources so that men can know Christ. I want you to know something. God has brought you to this church for such a time as this to awaken inside of you this seek and save, this thing. 
thing. But we got to go get them. We got to help. And that doesn't mean that you got to go to Africa or that you got to go to the Amazon. That means right there in front of you, there are those who are hurting. And he has put you into this place for this moment, for this time, and given you resources to see them saved. So let's carry the dream. Here's the second reason or possible hindrance to God's resources, and that is we don't see ourselves as a conduit. We don't see ourselves as a conduit. Yeah, come on. We don't, we, we don't see ourselves as a conduit. Uh, the Bible says if you're faithful in little, he'll give you ruler over much. Thanks so much. All right, you turned it on? Okay, great. So here's what I want you to understand. <clears throat> that each and every one of you are a conduit to others. God's power flowing through you to... Just kidding. Boy, Tony, what? what? Tony got his fist like that. <laughs> Notice I ain't had no mamas with no done, done up hair up close. Don't mess with a black woman's hair in the rain. I'll tell you that right now. You get yourself killed. Thank you, Lisa. Somebody preach back at me. All this water hose is, is a conduit. It is not the power that I possess touching lives. It's not my money. Are you with me? It's not my talent. It's not my intellect. It's his. I'm just the shell. I'm just the connecting point. And when you don't understand that you're a conduit, then you don't see anyone that you're connected to as needing what God has in you. But when you realize I'm a conduit, I'm supposed to take what's in me and water those around me. To splash that on everyone around me. When you start realizing, you know, I'm working this job because there's somebody here that needs Jesus. I've been, I've been placed in this community, in this neighborhood, because there's somebody that needs to know that, uh, that Jesus loves them. I was in a neighborhood years ago. It was predominantly, uh, it was predominantly Anglo, and this African-American couple moved in across the street and had a couple teenage guys, and during the, during the pandemic time, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, they were out there working out, and if you remember all that, everybody was at each other, and, 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 and you know, we've got Floyd being murdered, and all these things are happening, and you could tell, I could tell little white people walking past, the little black kids out there working out to the teenager guys and they're ripped they got their shirts out they're working out outside you know because they're off because you know school's out and uh, and 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 i went over to them because i have a resource because i didn't know i was white until a few years ago and i went out there to that kid and i said hey can i talk to you he goes yes sir like what's this white guy gonna do to me i said hey man listen i <clears throat> i recognize you there ain't a whole lot of black teenagers in this neighborhood I said, and, and I just want to say this to you. If anyone messes with you and your mom and dad aren't around, you come tell me. Yes. I said, because you're beautiful just the way you are. God made you perfect. I need you in my life. And I believe, son, that God has a plan for you. And he puts you in a neighborhood like this to help those who maybe struggle with believing that a young black man like you has good intentions in his life yes. because of whatever they bought into. And I'm sorry about that. In fact, I believe that God's going to use you and your family to change this neighborhood. He gets big tears in his eyes. I said, can I pray with you? I don't tell him I'm a pastor. He goes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He bows his head down. He's, he's shredded. I mean, he's been working. He's got his little abs all right down there. <laughs> he's, he's huge, too. And I think he played, uh, I think he was playing football for the Cedar Hill High School team, and his brother was on the swim team. <laughs> and he got me dying laughing. He goes, I'm a black dude on the swim team, Pastor. <laughs> I was like, let's go, baby. Let's break all those, uh, all those things, man. And so I prayed with him, big tears in his eyes. The next day, he comes and knocks on my door. He said, uh, I talked to my dad about what you did. 
He just wanted me to tell you thank you. And I said, buddy, my house is your house. Anything you need. Love to have you guys over for dinner. Anything like that. I just would. I got you back, okay? What I did was I took the love of God that was flowing in me. And the way I was raised, because I went to a school, I was the only white kid. And I took those experiences mixed in with the love of God, and I spread it about. And it helped that kid. That was the resource I had. I didn't, I don't, I didn't come from money, I, so I can't really talk. I can't really minister to someone like that, per se. Maybe that's where you came from, and you can, that's a resource, that's a tool, that's a gift. You are a conduit to bring forth his glory in the earth. And if you don't see that, see, if you just see yourself as a little servant and you just like, I just do what God tells me to do and I don't really want to do it. It's like I'm a slave kind of thing. Then you, you understand, he calls us friends. And yes, yes, we call ourselves servants because that's the right posture, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he calls us friends and he's given us his resources so that we can touch others so that their lives can be transformed. Here's the third thing that I've realized is a possible hindrance to God really entrusting you with his resources. And that maybe is because you're indebted yourselves to other things of this world. We've indebted ourselves to the things of this world. If you're so indebted with trying to pay off that big, big house that you don't really need, then, then you can't go on a missions trip with us. Because you can't miss a day of work. You can't be faithful to serving on a Sunday even though you love kids and you feel called to help kids. But you can't do that because you're working two jobs because you're driving a G-Wagon because that helps you in sales when you roll up. But you're not getting the sales like you thought you would. And so now you're doing this other stuff and you're cutting corners in finances and you're going to end up in jail. And at the end of the day, you've gotten so indebted to the things of this world that you can't even be a conduit. You can't even use the resources that God's entrusted with you because you're indebted to the things of this world. Tony Thomas was sitting on the front row, and years ago, when he, he and Amy first started coming to church here, we had asked them to be small group leaders because they just were so in love with the Lord and so helping people. And, and Tony was working, what, 80 hours a week selling cars, something like that. Always having to work Saturdays, and of course he'd go up there on Sundays with them too, you know, because they got some interest on Saturday, and uh, and then it's small group. Their small group started growing; they started multiplying that out and that kind of thing. And uh, and I'll never forget the stress that he was under; couldn't make softball games for his kids and things like that. And so I'll never forget when he made the decision: I'm going to be a conduit for Jesus, and God's going to take care of my family. So he quit the car industry, and he went and got in the insurance business. Was making what, 35, 40% less than you were making in the car sales? And he was, because he was starting, he was starting over. And, uh, but guess what he had? Saturdays and Sundays off. Guess what he had? He was home by five o'clock. Guess what he had? His wife started saying, All right, I like you again. <laughs> I might stay with you. What he had was an opportunity for God to resource him. And last I checked, he was making as much money or almost as much as he was making in the car industry with about half the effort. Because God will take care of his own. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything else he'll add unto you. Are you with me today? Say yes. So as we go into this series, I'm going to take you through the key pieces I see in Scripture that are resources. I'm going to make you aware that those are resources from God for you to use for kingdom business. 
And I'm going to teach you how to, if you will, I'm hopefully helping you to be able to manage and to navigate that. Because the bottom line is that we all have resources. The problem is our inability to manage it. The guy with the one talent, he could not manage more than that because he had never created the opportunity to step out in faith enough because of his fear or whatever it was. He didn't have the dream. He didn't see himself as a con- whatever it was. And as a result of that, he was stuck at this level. Friend, when we finish this series, we're all going to be passing up those old levels, moving into the new levels. God's going to entrust you with supernatural things. Some of you are going to be laying hands on sick people because you've got that, that gift of healing on your life, but you don't ever pray for anybody. We're going to break all that. Some of you are going to have millions of dollars start coming through your hands because you can be entrusted not to do it, keep it for yourself, but to use it for kingdom. God has a plan to transform the world if the church will just be a part of his plan and use his resources for the right motives. Are you with me? Say yes. Stand with me quickly, quickly, quickly. You guys. Hey, everybody. Wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it. Consider it, pray, and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we want to know. We want to know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place. Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.